as the Passion Week begins, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start at verse 41. Luke 19, 41, Jesus has told his disciples to go and get a, a donkey, a foal that has never been ridden into the city. You'll find one tied up waiting for you. How many of you know God has provision waiting for you? And as they go into that city, as that donkey is waiting, he said, in case someone asks, tell him this thing, the Lord has need of it. And, and God had already prepared somehow. We don't even know the rest of that story. But the guy that owned the donkey somehow had a visitation from God and said, someone's going to come to you and ask for it. And they're going to say, the Lord has need of it. And when they do, you release it. God's working beyond uh, the apostles. The disciples didn't know this. God's working in realms for your life that you don't even know. He's been talking to somebody else about you. Aren't you glad talks about you to other people? The master has need of it. And so they go and they, they come and there it is right there like he said. And they go to take it and the guy comes to the door and says, hey, what are you doing? Okay, he said, the Lord has need of it. And he says, oh, great, been waiting for you. Take it. So they take it and Jesus begins to ride in on a lowly donkey, on a mule. He wasn't exactly the conquering king everybody was waiting for to ride in on a mighty white steed. But they figure, well, okay, we've seen his mighty miracles. We'll take him any way we can get him. And uh, he enters in. People begin to throng and begin to throw palm branches. But as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he begins to weep and he begins to cry. It says in verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace? Now, God visits cities. How many of you know that? God visits cities. Jesus visited cities. That was his regular routine in his ministry on earth. For three years, he visited cities. And in some cities, he was accepted, and in some cities, he was rejected. And Jesus is used to telling those who reject him, Woe to you! Capernaum. Woe unto you. As a prophet, he is pronouncing doom upon them, if you would understand the prophetic utterance of what Jesus is saying. And when he came and could not move in a city, could not respond and, and bring forth uh, the kingdom to bear, and they would not receive him, he would pronounce a woe unto them. He said, look it, you don't understand. You just don't get it who's visiting your city today. He said to Capernaum, woe unto you, it'll be better in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah. Now there was a visitation of God to Sodom and Gomorrah. How many of you know that? Remember the angels came to Abraham and said, we're going to have a visitation. We're going to have a little prayer walk on our way down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, we're going to have to make a visit of God's uh, justice and vengeance upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, oh, let me intercede, please. My nephew's in that city. Would you, would, you, would you hold off your visitation of judgment on the city if there were just 50 righteous? Now, Abraham's in covenant with God. That means God shares his thoughts with Abraham. He discusses them with Abraham. 
Abraham is a regent, an ambassador of God into the earth, and in covenant they are discussing the issues of what must be done. God is willing to negotiate with his representatives in the earth. What's he doing? He's drawing out of the people on the earth, his representatives, their hearts. That's what this is all about. And so he calls to Abraham, and Abraham says, Lord, 50 righteous. He said, for 50 righteous, I'll, I'll spare the city. And Abraham gets to thinking, he's, wow, I better recalculate this. I know that city. How about 40? I'll do it for 40. Hmm. Okay, God's got some grace going here, and that's a pretty wicked city. How many of you know God's grace is more abundant than the sin of a city? 30, 20, 10, even for 10, was the city spared? What does that tell you? There were not even 10 righteous in the city. God would have spared those cities of over 100,000 people, but you couldn't find 10 righteous in them. Come on. You couldn't find 10. He took out how many? Well, yeah, he, okay, modern vernacular. He took them out, right. All right. He, he brought out of the, the city how many people? Four, right? Didn't Lot have two daughters? Okay, three of them made it out. Even out of the four he brought out, one of them wanted to look back. So three out of all that population, he would have spared. Now, did he spare the righteous? Hallelujah, he did. He brought Lot and his two daughters. Yeah, thank God. But he visited the city. Now, what I, why, why I'm saying all this is because Jesus is beginning to weep as he's going not to Capernaum, not to Galilee, but to Jerusalem, the city of peace. He's going to his city, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, where the temple and the presence of God is supposed to be. And when he gets there, he begins to weep. Because though it looks like they are receiving him, at his visitation. They're coming out saying, Ooh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Ha, ah, praise God. And they're throwing palm branches down. You're the king. He knows what is about to happen. And so he weeps over the city and he said, If you, even you, Jerusalem, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. You think you want me to make war against Rome. You don't know who I'm about to make war with. You think that you want me to bring and redeem Israel. I am here not only to... You think too small. I'm not only here to redeem Israel. I'm here to redeem all of mankind. He said, you don't understand what's happening this day. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Why is it hidden from their eyes? Because of their expectation, their religious pride, and their complete apathy to the Word of God. And because of those things, they did not understand the visitation of God. We're in the midst of praying for a city or cities, brothers and sisters. Can we find ten righteous in them? You better say, yeah, because I hope there's ten righteous here. I'll call an altar call right now and get it right. Jesus, help us. Now, some of you have the mindset of, I'm getting out of the city. Forget about it. I don't care if he's going to redeem it. I'm leaving. A lot of people are doing that. Now, I understand some folks got to do that to find a job. But 
a Christian runs into the storm and says, count me in as an intercessor. We're praying for a city to be redeemed. We're praying for a visitation by God. But what I want to show you about this is this. They didn't know, and it was hidden because of their pride, their religious um, expertise, and, and uh, uh, their expectations that were skewed and wrong. In verse 43, says, The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You did not recognize the time of your visitation. Of God's visitation. So Jesus the prophet pronounces a prophetic doom upon Jerusalem because they do not understand what's taking place. Now what is amazing is as Jesus is sitting there in that present moment looking upon the city of Jerusalem, he is not only seeing it as it is, I would imagine he saw it as in its glory with King David when Mount Zion was upon the hill and the Shekinah glory was all over and Solomon built his glorious temple. But not only is he seeing it in that realm, he's also seeing it in 70 A.D. when Titus comes in and absolutely destroys Jerusalem and all that's left left are carcasses and a burning heap of stone and rubble. Woe unto you, Jerusalem! You do not understand the time of your visitation. Now what is really fascinating about this statement is the time of your visitation. That word visitation... Uh, the NIV rendered God's coming to you. But that word for visitation, if you look in the Greek, is episkopos. Does anybody know what an episkopos is? What's that sound like? A bishop. A bishopric. Episcopus. It's used in a few other references. You don't understand the time. And what does a bishop do? He oversees. He evaluates and oversees those that he rules and has authority over. You see, what is happening here is the bishop of Israel, the bishop of our souls, the shepherd over the people of God, has come into the city to inspect it. And he has found it wanting. He said, you don't understand the time of your overseer. You don't understand this is the time for an inspection from God. And what he is inspecting is Israel itself. You see, Israel was commissioned and appointed with a purpose and a duty. Israel was to be a light unto the Gentiles. Can I ask you, after Jesus rode into the triumphal entry, what immediately takes place according to the book of Luke and Matthew? He cleanses the temple, which is in keeping with the bishop or overseer inspecting the quality of his leadership. As he walks into that temple, he begins to turn over the money changers and he begins to whip and beat the animals out of that court. That court happens to be the court of the Gentiles. 
They had turned the place where Gentiles were supposed to be allowed to come and draw near to God and pray. They had turned it into a marketplace. He said, you've taken your position out of the way for the world. You're supposed to be a light unto the world, and you've made it a den of thieves. You sell and buy sacrifices. My house shall be a house of prayer. What does he say? To all nations. But their religiosity wouldn't see it. They couldn't see the time of their visitation. You see, the bishop has come to inspect the job that his ambassadors are supposed to be doing. And he began to weep because those he elected to be a light of salvation to the world had utterly failed. And he said, you don't understand the time of this inspection. And he commanded a judgment upon the house of Israel. Wow. This word, episcopal, office of a bishop of overseer, also means an inspection or a visitation, is also found in Acts chapter 1, verse 20. Would you turn there very quickly with me? Acts 1, 20. It's right at the beginning of the book. Thus, Acts 1, verse 20. You see them in the upper room. You see the apostles uh, discussing what's taking place. And uh, Peter says, you know, the Holy Spirit's talking to me. And he says, I believe that we need to find a new person to take Judas' place. And he says this in verse 24, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. That word leadership, if you have a King James, it says bishopric. Another should take his bishopric, right? And his bishopric let another take. In other words, or office someone else should take. In other words, the office that Judas held as one of the twelve is now empty and desolate because of his betrayal. Let us find another bishop, bishopric, overseer, elder, apostle to take his place. And so they begin to draw lots to fill that spot. And that is prophetic, brothers and sisters, of Israel. Israel, you don't understand the time of your inspection. You have failed to be a light to the Gentiles. I will therefore now go into all the earth. How many of you remember the parables Jesus kept telling about the invitation to come to the wedding banquet and no one would come? They wouldn't come and they wouldn't come dressed. So he said, I sent out a messenger into the highways and all the byways inviting whosoever will to come. Israel, you don't understand this moment right now. I am here inspecting you and I find you bankrupt and a betrayer of your purpose. And so, as was prophesied over Judas, let's find another to take his position. And so the Gentiles are grafted in. And you and I have become the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for this day and this hour, in this age of the church, to bring forth a message. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, you can jot it down, I'll read it to you. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, 
Same word, bishopric. He desires a noble task. Same word as the visitation that Jesus had. That when Jesus said, you don't know the hour of your bishopric, he said, the office of bishop. So again, it's used there as an overseer. It's used in Acts for one of the apostles as an overseer. And now turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. How many of you know that Peter calls Jesus the bishop of our souls? He was standing right there when Jesus said, you don't understand the hour of your bishopric. You don't understand the hour of your overseer. You don't understand the hour of your inspector. Of your inspection. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says this. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you. I'm reading from the NIV. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires or from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of His inspection. On the day of His bishopric. On the day of His visitation. Same word. You and I are going to have a visitation by King Jesus, the bishop of our souls. He is going to inspect us, and he is going to inspect our works, and he is going to try them as by fire, brothers and sisters. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 3, and he says it will either be wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. So when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, it was the time of Bishop Jesus to have an inspection. Paul talks about us inspecting our own hearts so that when it comes to the day of our inspection by the bishop of our souls, we will judge rightly. He says every time you take the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11, he says what? Examine yourselves for it is better that the Spirit judge you now than on the day of your inspection. Aren't you glad you have an indwelling Holy Spirit who says, you know what, get it right. Get away from that thing. Put those things away. I'm calling you into this. We're gathered here today, brothers and sisters, for inspection. Any military here? Stand up straight. We're going to inspect your bunk. Don't give me no bunk. We gather as the body of Christ to come together into the presence of God that we would help each other, minister to each other, and hear from the Lord and have an inspection from our bishop that the power of his spirit would wash us in his word and cleanse us from spot and wrinkle. Because why? Peter says, I need you to show up and represent. The world's going to accuse you of all sorts of stupid things and dumb things. You're narrow-minded people. You're bigoted people. You're an unloving, hating people. They're going to say that about Christians. How many of you know that? That's right. But he says, don't, they're going to say those things, but by your actions, don't let them be able to say, make it stick. 
because we have to live good, godly lives for the day of our inspection. I don't want Jesus crying over me. I don't want him pronouncing doom over Thank God I'm saved and sealed by the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from all unrighteousness. So now the spirit of righteousness, the spirit of holiness is going to teach me, instruct me, discipline me, correct me, rebuke me, and teach me in training for righteousness. That's what the Word of God does for us, and that's why we're studying it. For the day of our inspection. This is an amazing story. So when Jesus comes down, he's not just sad and weeping over not being accepted by Israel. He's sad because he is actually pronouncing the doom upon that city and that nation. He's weeping over the design and plan of God that they would not. Oh, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you into my bosom as a mother hen gathers her chicks but you would not. And so on this entrance, knowing what he is going to do and what he is going to face, he says, woe, woe unto you. And so he prays over a city. He said, you missed, you didn't recognize the time of your inspection. Brothers and sisters, we're praying for a visitation from God, for our cities, all the surrounding cities around here. We're saying, God, we need you. God, come into this place. God, send revival. I want to tell you, whenever God's Spirit shows up, there's going to be an inspection. Judgment begins where, brothers and sisters? In the house of the Lord. When the general shows up, when the bishop shows up, the house better be in order. Oh, we want God to have a visitation, save the lost, do miracles. We want to see great and wondrous works. I agree with that. But let's get our act together. Let's understand that when King Jesus shows up, he better have a royal reception. His people better be in alignment. They better be in rank and file with a good, clean heart, washed in the blood of the Lamb, without spot or wrinkle. There's a visitation, I believe, coming. And there will be pronouncements of woe upon the city. Already we've seen corruption being exposed. We've begun seeing offices cleaned out. We've seen, seen things happen. I want to know what's going to get cleaned out in the church. We don't have a problem when we see this mayor who's done corrupt things come down or that council member exposed for this and this and that, but when it starts happening in the church, uh-huh. that's why we meet together for the Holy Spirit to do the job right now. Inspect us now. Come to the light now. Bring everything into the light now. You got sin in your lives. You better do, bring it to the confession right now. Bring it before God now. Let him deal with you mercifully. You know, he'll still deal with you mercifully. He'll just tell everybody. It'll be exposed. He'll get you to repent one way or the other. Why not have a soft heart towards him? And so it's amazing to me. They missed the timing. You missed the timing. Now consider the timing of this. I told you this earlier. I mean, the timing of this is amazing. Not only is there a donkey waiting for you that had been 
purposed by God for the very walk down the mountain into Israel, but the very prophetic hour to that point. If you take Daniel chapter 9 and you project the weeks of Daniel, you'll find that the triumphal entry is actually mathematically, according to every date, Jesus arrived in Jerusalem according to the exact day and hour that was prophesied in the book of Daniel. You take the dates from when Cyrus uh, caused Israel to go back to the decree to Jerusalem from that time so many weeks until the coming of Messiah. And it's there. You can do the math. The day he arrived is the day that was prophesied. You don't understand the day of a visitation. But nobody was searching Scriptures. No one was paying attention to the prophetic times. He said, look, at if you don't believe me, believe my very words and my teaching what I have been telling among you. What are you arresting me for? I've spoken publicly. I've told you everything. At least believe for the signs and wonders. You see, what he's doing is at this inspection, he is showing their hearts. That's what the bishop will do. That's what God will do. He will show us our hearts. You know, I learned something a long time ago. Hard times don't make or break a person. They reveal their character. And so the wine press is pressing. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken. And what will be exposed? Our hearts. Not how strong or weak you are, but where your heart is. He said, I did all these things, yet you reject me. Remember John the Baptist? He didn't know. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? I know that God said I saw. He saw signs and wonders. He saw the Holy Spirit come down as a dove. God said, the Messiah will be the one that I have the dove come down and light upon. Did John see that? Yes. Did he get it? Yes. But in an hour of doubt in a prison cell. He's wondering, what am I doing in a prison cell? I've only had six months of ministry here. I thought I'd have a longer career. Why am I in jail? About to get my head chopped off. Are you really the Messiah? And Jesus told the messengers, you watch and see what I do, and you go back and tell John everything you've seen and heard me say. And they went back to John and said, well, he heals the blind, he sets the captives free, right? He, he, he takes those who are in prison and releases them. Isaiah 61, right? Isaiah 60. He takes it. He's fulfilling scripture. And John says, he's the guy. He had to reveal and squeeze out the doubt. And that's what he's doing. And so what Jesus purposely does is in, as he's coming before the triumphal entry, he's ready to turn up the heat. He comes in and waits purposely four days till Lazarus is dead. He waits for the death of something to prove his power. Maybe Detroit needed to die so that he could resurrect it and we would all see Jesus. He waited. He waited. He waited. Martha said, he stinketh by now said roll away the stone now jesus did this purposely because it says at that event when he raised lazarus from the dead no doubt he was dead three days they would have doubted four days no doubt because in hebrew tradition three days they believe the spirit still lingers around the body after the third day they know that's it is over 
The fourth day, they, he raises him from the tomb, and it says, from that moment on, the Pharisees said, we must kill this man. Because he now came into the presence. Remember how he kept telling people, don't tell anybody yet. Don't tell anybody about my, your healing. Stop telling people about, I healed you, but don't tell a soul. They could never stop. They are told. Why did he do that? Because the timing, the timing, the timing. There's a timing in God. Well, the timing is he raised someone from the dead so that he would bring out the players in this plan. And he squeezed and the Pharisees rebelled. Then he comes triumphantly and people begin to shout hallelujah. But their expectation is a political leader who will save them from Rome. And he exposes what they want out of him. He exposes that they're only here for their political gain. They're not here to be a light to the Gentiles. They're not here to fulfill their call and their duty. How many church people do we have who are here for selfish reasons, for their only gain and their only pursuit, when in a whole time we're here to win souls for Christ? And he exposed the parade marchers and those who had palm branches, and he exposed their hearts for what it was. And the Pharisees said, you tell them to shut up. He said, I ain't going to tell them to shut up. You don't understand the time of this visitation. It's so prophetic and profound that even the rocks would begin praising me. But he did that on purpose so that he would make them get even angrier and their hearts get even more exposed. we got to do something. This guy's got a gathering. He's got a following. And so the shaking happens. You see, the bishop showed up to expose every heart. It's inspection time. Inspection time. He caused the disciples to, to, to search out their own hearts. As he's sitting with them in the upper room, he says, one of you guys is going to betray me. And if you'll read that passage, they all turn to each other and say, could it be me? Read it. They're all asking each other, is it you? Is it me? Could it be me? Of course, there's one there that says, not me. I'll never do it. We remember that guy's name, don't we? <laughs> Exposing the heart of pride. Exposing. When an inspection comes, he comes to reveal all. And he exposed. And what happened at that last supper when he said, one of you will betray me? They all asked, is it me? Is it, is it me? Is it? Finally, they said, hey, John, 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 ask him. Who is it? John's leaning on Jesus and says, hey, Jesus. Who is it? And he says, the one whom I dip into the bitter herbs is the one who will do it. And he gives them to Judas, and Judas stands, and Satan enters his heart, and he leaves because the inspector came in and exposed the heart of Judas. Brothers and sisters, we're calling for God to come visit and I think he's telling us, you better get ready. We, we want a parade. And we want the glorious presence of God. But it is an awesome thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Every heart will be exposed by King Jesus. Oh, I want my heart right before him. He drew out all the expectations of Israel, and what he saw is that they were not ready for that visitation.
He weeps because of the prophecy. Listen to what the prophecy was. He says, the days will come when your enemies will build an encampment around you and against you and encircle you and hem you in. In 70 AD, the Roman emperor Titus came in and he surrounded the city and built bulwarks around them and blocked off all entrance and exits so that they could not come and go and hemmed them in, exactly as Jesus said. They were cut off from their food supply. Titus asked them time and time again to surrender. They would not. Israel's a stiff-necked people. He said, we will give you the opportunity to surrender and we will not overtake you. They would not. He cut them off. It says, and Josephus writes about the wars of Israel. He writes in Antiquities. He was there at that time. And as he's writing the history of that, it got so bad that the Israelites would not surrender And in fact, they began killing their own children and eating them to survive an exposure of their own hearts that they'd kill their own children so that they could live another day. Titus was so furious with these people that they would not surrender. He had them beaten completely. Finally, he begins to take siege of the city. And as it says, it says, they will dash you to the ground and you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another. Titus said, when you go in, don't destroy the temple of Solomon. I'm sorry, it was Herod's temple by then. He said, don't destroy it. The soldiers, and you can read this in Josephus, the soldiers were so furious with the Israelites that when they got in, they disregarded their emperor's orders, Titus's orders, and they began to burn the temple. They threw everything in, and as it began to burn, all the gold within the temple began to melt. And it began to melt because of such a furor. And as they came in, they saw people dead everywhere, dead babies, dead things. And they they were just outraged. And the soldiers, now I'm not talking to build up the soldiers. They were terrible. They raped and pillaged that place terribly. They were ruthless people. And so you had this clash of these people. And they burned the temple. And the temple burned so furiously and so long that all the gold implements and everything that was of gold began to melt. And it began to run in amongst the bricks and blocks of the temple. And so the guards wanted the gold. So they began tearing the temple down brick by brick to get the gold that had run in between the mortar and the brick. And so they literally took apart the temple stone by stone so that there was not one block remaining on its structure. Just as Jesus had prophesied. He saw it coming. He saw it coming. So now, brothers and sisters, I say this. Bishop Jesus oversees us, and he desires that we would pass inspection. I know, according to 1 Corinthians 3, that I am saved. It's only by his work on the cross that I can be saved. My good works and my bad works cannot save me or disqualify me. My faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is what saves me. Because everybody here is failing God in some dimension. And if you don't realize you are, I pray for your eyes to be open so that your pride will no longer consume you. 
but that we would fall before a holy God always recognizing, but by the grace of God, I stand. For 1 Corinthians 3 says, we will be tried as by fire, but we will be saved. Hallelujah. But there will be a day of visitation, as Peter said. So he said, when they speak against you, let your conduct be good. Your deeds be good and glorify God because he's coming to inspect the works. What did he do in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3? What did he inspect as he walked in and among what? The candlesticks, which are the what? The church. He says, I know your works, your deeds. They either please him or they don't. Am I sewing this together for you? Is it flowing? And so, the day of our visitation, I don't want to be caught unawares. We're praying, God, make a visitation here. Come to Detroit. Let us inspect ourselves because the bishop is coming. Let us inspect our own hearts and be aware. There were three things that Israel did not do properly. Number one, they had wrong expectations. That's why I'm preaching this message to you. Israel had a wrong expectation of Messiah. They thought Messiah was going to be a political leader who was going to take them and save them from Rome. They thought too small. And so they had a wrong expectation. They wanted an earthly king. He is the king of all kings. They they wanted salvation for Israel. He was coming for salvation of all mankind. They wanted him to defeat Rome. He was coming to defeat the entire satanic dominion over all of planet earth. They wanted him to clean up the mess in Jerusalem. He was coming to clean up the mess on planet earth. What do you want him to do in Detroit? Huh? What is our expectation? Come and and bring people so that they can get saved. That's a good expectation. Clean up the city so our schools can be safe. That's a good expectation. Make it nice for me. But is there a greater reason that God wants to do something? Could it be that He's going to come to the state of Michigan in such an outpouring? Come into the state of the city of Detroit in such a way and in Roseville, East Point, and whatever city you live in. I've been preaching on this long enough. You understand what I'm saying when I talk about this region. Why is He going to come into this region? Because He's got a greater plan in store. It's an end time plan. He wants the United States, He wants the state of Michigan to change. He wants the United States to change. He wants this world government to change. He wants the kingdom to bear on planet earth don't have such small expectations of what is coming and don't think that he's not able to do it but the thing is we don't understand how he does it they wanted a king he came as a suffering servant they wanted a victory. He died on the cross bringing a greater victory. See, see, we don't think you got him figured out. And the, the thing that amazes me about the triumphal entry is that no one helped Jesus save the world. Not a single human being did anything towards salvation. Not one. His closest split. Those he had trained, gone. 
No one wrought salvation except Jesus Christ. There is not going to be a church. There's not going to be a Christian leader. There's not going to be a face upon the move of God. It will be Christ and Christ alone that we will exalt and lift up. He will do this thing. He'll do it in His timing. He'll do it in His way. All He asks you to do is go here and get the donkey and bring it back. And if they ask, you say this and you do that. Just be obedient to do what He says to do. And when He inspect, inspects your own soul and says, one of you is going to disavow me, he, you better inspect your own heart and say, is it me? Let's get ready because he's coming. The second reason they missed a, that, in, that visitation is because of religious pride. They were so religious, they thought they needed to tell him what to do. The Pharisee says, you're doing it wrong, healing on the Sabbath. You're doing it wrong, having these people praise you. You're doing it wrong, comparing yourself to God as if you're his son. You're doing it. They were so religious in what they thought they knew, they missed the Son of God standing in their midst. These are men who search the Scriptures daily. Peter, his right-hand man, says, you don't need to go to Jerusalem and die. He says, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand a thing about God's counsel, will, and plan. So look at brothers and sisters, let us not have religious pride in what we're praying for in this hour and in this day. We know exactly what Jesus is going to do for the city of Detroit. We know exactly what Jesus is going to do for Roseville. We know just what he needs to do. He needs to do this, 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 fill these potholes out on Fraso. We know exactly what Jesus needs to do. First thing you need to do is change the economy, get more jobs. That's what we need to pray for. Isn't it interesting that we have an agenda of prayer for what he needs to do for our city? And I want to tell you something. He may ride in on a donkey, which is fine with potholes. He's going to come in in a way you don't understand it. We don't understand it. We've got to get our head on straight. Jesus is talking to us right now. The inspector comes in. How many of you see there's a TV show on where the boss dresses up like the regular workers and works right alongside and they don't realize he's the boss? What would happen if Jesus showed up and nobody knew it? But he changed everything. Don't think you're so religiously adept that you understand what God's going to do. Let us fall on our faces before a holy God and pray to the bishop of our souls. Teach us, train us, equip us. We will listen and no longer tell you what to do. Last of all, they missed it because of apathy. They didn't hear the signs. They didn't read the signs. They didn't expect what he was going to do. He told them he was going to the cross. He told them he'd die and in three days he'd rise again. He told them this is what God was going to do and establish. He told them the temple would be torn down, but in three days he'd rise up. He told them all of it, but they didn't get it. Nobody got it. Nobody understood it. Oh God, help us that we would be so apathetic, so concerned about our daily routine that we miss the inspector who has come. And so I conclude with this. Turn with me to Ephesians 5.17. I conclude. Turn with me here. This is our hope. This is our way to prepare. Ephesians 5.17. Praise God. Ephesians 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand 
what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will, brothers and sisters, is that we would be a light to the lost, that we would be a city on a hill, that we would be a people equipped by God so that we could save some, becoming all things to all people that we may save some, caring and for the kingdom first above all other things, and everything else will be added to that. But seek ye first the kingdom. Obey all that Christ has commanded. You see, he says this, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one or with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Know the will of God in this hour of visitation. We're praying for a visitation from the bishop of our souls. So get in tune with his Spirit. Let the Spirit of God begin to examine your heart, examine your spirit, sing songs together, meet together, sing with each other, hymns, songs, spiritual songs, hear the words of prophecy, hear the tongues and interpretation, pray healing for each other, hear thus saith the Lord, study the word of God together, be a prepared people. You're his arms and feet for this time of inspection, for this time of visitation. So that we are no longer just those who are visited by the bishop, but he abides in us, through us, and a river of life flows out of us in Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads this morning.